to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. If you haven't had a chance, if you didn't hear Darren's sermon last week, uh, I, I would encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that in the podcast. It is, this is kind of part two of what he was saying, uh, just to, having a sense of what God is leading us into in 2015 and um, the adventure that he is um, uh, calling us to, however, requires us to be certain kinds of people and the kind of the code word for the kinds of people that we need to be to be useful to God is holy. To be holy people is to be a useful people. When God calls the children of Israel in Exodus chapter uh, 17 and 19, he calls them a kingdom, a nation of priests, a people whose role is to serve an intermediary uh, position, uh, standing before God on behalf of the world, standing before the world on behalf of God. But he says in order to do that, in order to be that kingdom of priests, you have to be a holy nation. You have to be a nation that's set apart. And unfortunately for most of us, at least if you grew up in, in a classical uh, uh, church as I did, uh, holiness always meant certain kinds of sins were off, certain kinds of behavior, certain kinds of things. And everybody knew what they were. We were really good uh, at what I called the hot sins. You, you, you know what I mean? We were really good at, at And in fact, what it created, for me at least, was a culture in which I became an expert in other people's sins. Right? Because we knew the five or six that were off limits. And if I took a few minutes and just gave you an opportunity, I think you could probably identify what five or six those were. And the problem was is that if we didn't do those five or six things, if we didn't do the hot sins, then we felt pretty good about ourselves and nobody called out that sin. Nobody called out the sin of pride or the sin of gossip or the sin of backbiting, which was probably more destructive than the hot sins, which were easy to call out. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So when we, when we talk about holiness um, and, and, it's, and, and usefulness in the same passage, holiness is the, is the position God places you in so that you have a platform on which to stand to be helpful to him to save the world. That's what holiness is. Holiness is not something you earn your way into. It's something that is given. It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from something. It means to be set apart to something. But it also means to be set apart for something. So we're set apart from the world. We're set apart to God. And we're set apart for the world. Does that make sense? So it's not something you can earn your way into by behavior, right? If I just don't do these things, then I'll be holy. It is, however, something that has behavioral implications. Because I am holy, now I need not do these things or I ought to be doing these things. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And the problem is that um, nobody knows beyond certain framework things what you ought to be doing because you're holy and what you ought to be doing because, or not doing because you're, you're holy. I can't tell you that. I can give you a framework of certain things that are clear and obvious, right? Uh, and, and we'll talk about some of those things. But the problem is, as soon as I start giving examples, 
what happens to us? We start pushing back against the examples, either feeling pride that we don't have that, or shame that, oh, crap, I got called out. You see? And in either case, self-righteousness or defense disables the work of the Spirit. So I want to just, as gently as I possibly can, talk about sin today. Um, And and, and, uh, this arises out of Darren's sermon like yesterday, or last week rather, wherein, in fact, you probably should listen to that sermon before you listen to this one. So if you can just kind of endure this and then come back and listen to the podcast of this one too, that would be helpful. Because we are a church that believes firmly in grace, uh, but we believe that at the same time grace calls us to something. Grace is not, in other words, just the destination. It's the empowerment for a new way of life. I probably should be more um, graceful, needing of grace, the more I follow Jesus than I was at the beginning. Does that make sense? So, so grace is not something that gets me going and now I'll finish it up by work. Grace is something that has enabled life and now it teaches me how to live. Yeah? And, and the question that Paul had to struggle with uh, when, when um, he preached this gospel of grace was the immediate conclusion that people came to. Well, shall we sin so that grace can abound? Shouldn't we... Shouldn't we be giving God opportunity to be gracious to us? And Paul says, when you ask that question, you clearly don't get either grace or sin. You've got a fundamental misunderstanding of the categories of human self-destruction. So then he unpacks what that means. And lest we think that it's only Paul that is concerned about righteous behavior let's under, or holiness... Let's reflect back for just a second into Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that has kind of been the the primary uh, cultural conditioning of the garden for the last five and a half, six years. The Sermon on the Mount begins with Jesus saying, I need you to be salt and light. Well, what happens if the salt loses its saltiness? It's useless. It's not helpful to preserve. It's not helpful as a sign of covenant, which is what salt was for in the ancient Near East. What happens with light that's intended to be set on a hill, a city set on a hill, a light on a lampstand? What happens if you just cover it over the bowl so the light doesn't shine? Well, you might as well not have any light at all. And when he uses those two images, salt and light, city on a hill, those three images, he's talking about holiness. What happens if salt, the people who are intended to be the light of the world, have no difference in the ways that they live because they're light than those who still live in darkness? What, what's the point? Do, do you see what he's after here? So Jesus invites us into this. And this is why the first set of things is you think it's good enough just not to kill people. Well, that, let's, let's start there. But let's not end there. I don't need you just not to be killing people. I need you not to be angry with people. Oh, man, that's a whole other category. Do you, you see? But that's what saltiness, that's what light, that's what holiness looks like. Not just not killing, but in fact, 
not being angry, and moving not just to zero, where we're neutral about people, but towards righteousness, wherein we love even our enemies. You see what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Just in one chapter, chapter 5, he does this. It's the part that I'd, I'd prefer to take out of the Bible. I want the kingdom to come for you. Because I need your behavior to straighten up. I'm pretty good. Right? But in fact, when the kingdom comes, upon whom does the kingdom come? First, to me. And that means I can't just be satisfied with not sinning. I have to move towards righteousness. Do you see the, see, the, see the point? So how does God intend this to happen? How does God intend this to occur? So we're going to look in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to blitz through this incredibly dense thing. We've got like about 10 minutes in Yosemite this morning. So get your, get your uh, do you know what I mean? And it's just like, this, this, this is just so dense and so thick, we're never going to cover it all. But, you know, that's all the time we got. So, so we're going to look at it. Romans 8, um, uh, just as, as a snapshot, sin is missing the mark. By definition, this is the primary in, in, in both Old and New Testament, uh, frames sin as missing the mark. So when Paul says in Romans, a little bit earlier, 6 and 3, he says, Sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We often misunderstand Paul to say that everybody has sinned and so aren't like God. No, he doesn't say that. He says all have sinned and fallen short of the ways of God's revelation, which is what glory is. So who or what is God's glory? Who or what is the primary way that God is expressed in revelation in the world? You are. You are created to be the image, the representative, the glory of God in the world. So when we sin, whose glory is it that we fall short of? God's glory, which is us. So sin is not primarily a category of separation from God. Sin is primarily a category of separation from myself. Sin is suicide. Sin is self-destruction. Sin is self-sabotage. Because when we take ourselves out of the game by sin, we're no longer useful to help God save the world. Do you see how this works? So, uh, now some of you are saying, wait, wait, what? Bear with me. Work with me on this. Um, because this doesn't, this doesn't always uh, come through in our ways of thinking about that. But look with me at Romans chapter 8. We're going to read through uh, excerpts from this chapter. I wish I had time to go through it all, but we're going to look at excerpts of it, and um, uh, uh, then we'll talk about it. Therefore, this is chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free. From the law of sin and death. Now down to verse 5. Those, however, who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. 
But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Down to verse 8. Those then controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Therefore, brothers, down to verse 12, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, because if you live according to that sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit himself who testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So this uh, passage is, I mean, it's just, it's just so massive. We're not going to have time to develop it much more fully than just a snapshot a couple of things. Uh, but this is kind of a Snapchat uh, ser- sermon this morning. So pay attention because 10 seconds, gone. Uh, so here we are. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? This means that as a result of the work of Christ on the cross... As a result of the work that Jesus did on the cross, I want to underline that, as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is now, therefore, no barrier between you and God. If you are in Christ, how do you get in Christ? By asking Him to forgive you your sins, by inviting Him to be the Lord of your life, by orienting your life in a pattern of discipleship and following Him. These are, the, these are the practices and the expressions of what it means to be in Christ. If you're like that, guess what? You don't have to worry about heaven-hell decision anymore. That's what he means when he says there's no condemnation. Sin is no longer a one-way ticket to hell or one-way ticket to condemnation. That has been dealt with. Does this make sense? So the first thing that we need to we, we need to understand, whatever else I talk about in terms of the expression of our behaviors, this isn't about going to heaven or going to hell. You're not going to go to hell if you do X, Y, or Z or don't do X, Y, or Z. Heaven, hell, off the table, been taken care of by the grace and mercy of God. Hallelujah. You see? So, so this is the first, first element of, of, of the framework here. And we need to underline a couple of things just real dynamically before we, we, we uh, go, go any further. When we talk like this, we need to understand that at its root, the first and original sin that is the, the kind of the tap root of all of our other sins, the number one sin, Genesis 3 sin, is the belief that God is not good. And that therefore, we need to take care of ourselves. So, the belief that God is not good produces pride. Do you see what I mean? Because if God is not good, then we already know that He's probably withholding something from us. So, listen to, the, listen to the taxonomy of temptation in the garden when we saw the tree for the first time. That was the only thing that we could do in disobedience to God. Listen to the temptation of the serpent. 
the very same temptation that you hear every single day. Rooted in the reality that God is not good, that he's withholding something that you deserve that would be good for you. Do you, do you does that make sense? And in whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's uh, uh, sex or money or alcohol or um, uh, position or ambition, whatever it is, whatever it is. Now, I'm starting to call stuff out and somebody, oh, don't go there. Okay, go ahead. work with me, work with me, work with me. Because at the end, what does it come to? The serpent comes to us and said, has God said? And, and she said, oh, no, we're not supposed to touch the tree in the middle of the garden. Oh, God. no, no, no. You won't die. You'll be like God. Having capacity for the knowledge of good and evil. And then it says in in chapter 3, verse 6, she saw that the tree was good for food. Beautiful. And desirable to make wise. She took from its fruit and ate and gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. God is withholding something, and it can't be because he's good. It must be because he's on a power trip. He wants to withhold something from me that is good for food that is beautiful, and that's desirable to make wise. Duh! No-brainer! How many of you recognize the taxonomy of temptation in virtually every other thing that we do? Do you see? We're not smart enough to think up new ways to blow ourselves up. Fortunately, the old ways continue to work. Right? Of course I should sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend before I'm married. How in the world? I wouldn't buy a used car without taking it for a test drive. Because <laughs> if sin is self-destruction, what have I just done? I have pushed back against the goodness of God that says... Trust me, this is so powerful, you want to reserve it for covenant community, covenant relationship. Trust me on this one. Oh, you can't be that good. You're withholding something from us. Do you see how it works? And so so sin here, ultimately, at the end of the day, is rooted in the belief that God is not good. And that, therefore, we have to kind of take care of and, and, and do for ourselves. In other words, it's rooted in fear. So what has God done? He's taken away the fear. There's no condemnation now. You don't need to be afraid. This isn't about heaven and hell anymore. I've, I've got that covered. I'll go to hell for you. You with me? Now, if that were the end of the story, why not sin so that grace can abound? But that's not the end of the story. Because clearly, sin is still an issue. So if it's not an issue between us and God, if it's not an issue about heaven and hell, what is it an issue about? And that's where this next uh, verse takes us to. Those who live then, who continue to persist, living according to the sinful nature. What's the sinful nature? The sinful nature is the nature that says God isn't good. I've got to take care of myself. He can't be trusted. 
That's the sinful nature that at the end of the day continues to persist in behavior. So those who live according to that sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Because remember, we will always find a way to make life work. People don't choose addictions. First off, for the most part, they don't choose addictions because they're a good idea. They choose addictions as a way of hiding from pain, perhaps. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's the edge of the, of the blade. You don't chop a tree down with the blunt edge of the axe. You chop the tree down with the sharp edge first, with the tiny stuff first, with the, it's good for food first. It's desirable to make wise. It's beautiful first. Do you see, see what I mean? So he get in there, he gets in there, and he convinces, first of all, God's not good. You've got to make this work on your own. And then there are behaviors that, that flow out of that. So he's saying, have their mindset. Mindset, please notice, most of the stuff we have to deal with at the sin level is not behavioral first. It's attitudinal first. You can even be living a quote-unquote righteous life, doing all the right things, and still have missed the point because it doesn't flow from a mind that is set on the things of God. You see? And this is what he's inviting us to. Those, however, who live in accordance with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of God, remember verse 1 and 2, that's the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That same Spirit now moves us increasingly away from death and towards life. Do you see? So, heaven held not on the table. Everybody good on that? Now, however, you can still choose to self-destruct if you want. And God says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that anymore. Trust my goodness in this. Trust me in this. And we move, we set our hearts, we make a decision, we live in accordance with the Spirit, setting our mind in what the Spirit desires. Because at the end of the day, those who are controlled by the sinful nature can't please God. Well, what's the big deal with pleasing God? We continue to fall short as His image. We continue to fall short and become less and less and less useful in partnering with Him to save the world. You want to make a difference? Stop blowing yourself up. Move away from sin, but don't just settle for zero. Move towards righteousness. It's not enough to not commit adultery. I want to love my wife. I want to model a marriage. Do you see what I'm? Do you see what I'm saying? And and please notice, I will always find reasons to do whatever I have to do. Anybody else do that? If I want to do something, I'll find a good reason to do it. it. It doesn't have to be good to you. It just has to be good to me to rationalize my decision. I remember years and years and years ago struggling with pornography. And the rationale was, well, I'm a man. Of course. We'll find a reason to do what is self-destructive to us. And please notice, self-destructive to our families and our marriages and our relationships. And it wasn't finally at the end of the day, fear of hell that enabled me to move away from self-destructive behavior. It was the love of God. And very candidly, the love of Judy that enabled moving away from that. 
do you see what I'm after here? It's not. Yeah, yeah. So it's like Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Anybody see that bumper sticker a few years ago? Christians aren't. Here's the problem, folks. If 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 this is unforgiven, and this is forgiven, let's not tent here. Let's make progress away from the border. <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? Let, 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 can we can we start? Yeah, okay, I get, I get that we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be God. Fine. Can we be ourselves more, though? Can we become more and more fully the man, the woman that God called and created us to be? Can we reshape our desires, empowered by the Spirit, so that we increasingly please God and demonstrate ourselves to be who we actually are, the sons and the daughters of God? That's what we're after here. Yeah? So look at this next thing. Wait a minute. I want to make sure that I say everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, see, 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 because what happens is that sin is a form of negotiated poisoning. Remember Aaron Brockovich? A few years ago? Movie? Right? Parts per billion of a petroleum byproduct in the drinking water was causing people to get sick. Right? How much poison in your drinking water do you want? How much arsenic in your food do you want? How much cancer in your body can you live with? How much sin will you allow to remain? Same question, by the way. Do do, do you see? So, so when we come to this, sin is no longer an issue separating us from God. It's an issue that separates us from ourselves. So look at what he goes on and says next. Um, go ahead, Darren. Thank you, friend. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, a duty, a privilege, not to the sinful nature to live according to it, because if you keep doing that, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are increasingly putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Please notice with me here, this isn't about doing eye surgery with a mirror. This is about the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I are not smart enough to know our own hearts. I am deceptively wicked. I am so smart at self-deception. Can I get a witness? At least about me. Right? I will find ways. Like I said, I will find ways. So I, I, even when I look in the mirror, I rarely see who's there. So I need the Holy Spirit who brought me to life in the first place to teach me how to live in the second place. I need him then furthermore to help work into me the life of righteousness. If I continue in that sinful nature, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I, 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 <sighs> and it will make sense to me on my deathbed of my soul. It will make sense. Right? Do you see? And so, by the Spirit, I'm putting to death the misdeeds of the body. The body really matters. It's not that just the hot sins are the only sins. 
but those are the ways that we work ourselves into it. And whether it's eating issues or, or, or sexual issues or financial issues or whatever it is, this stuff really matters. We have this obligation. Because we are holy, now we can learn to live like who we are. We are the children of God. Jesus is not content as his brothers and sisters if we just don't murder people, if we just don't hate people. He wants us to actually love people. Why? Because that's what our Father does. I want to have the family resemblance. I want people to look at me and say, he reminds me of Jesus. Right? That's what we're after. So, 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 so the Holy Spirit identifies those self-destructive behaviors and attitudes and dispositions and leads us away. And here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the tricky part for me. Sin changes over time. That's why it's not a rule book. Here, just don't do these things. Just don't think these things. Just don't have these feelings. It changes. Have, have you noticed that? Things, I, I mean, past the, 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 the murder and hate stuff, which is always wrong, let's just be clear. Right? Past the adultery stuff, which is always wrong in whatever form, whether before I'm married or after I'm married, adultery is always wrong. It's always damaging. But I've noticed that that the stuff that's the most deadly to me, the pride and so on and so forth, that's a moving target. That's another reason I can't be trusted to do this on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to help me know what's okay this time. Because it's a relational discernment, isn't it? We don't, we don't get a GPS in the car. We have somebody who knows the terrain sitting beside us. We have a guide, not a map. We have a friend who wants us to get to the destination, who is giving us guidance along the way. Does, does, this, does this make sense? And so he invites us into this because as it changes over time and maturity, we need the Holy Spirit because he goes on and says in verse 17, go ahead there, thanks. Uh, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. So again, let me underline, this isn't about fear anymore. Fear will always get us into trouble. That's why love casts out fear as its first order of business. And, he, and, and, and love draws us to a kind of life that marks us as sons and daughters of God by which we cry, Abba, Father. Love, finally, at the end of the day, is the only thing that God will be satisfied with as the motivation for our behavior. This is what's going on in, at the tail end of John chapter 21. With me? Peter has blown up himself. He has betrayed Jesus. Any of us feel, if I had been there, I wouldn't have done it? No. You see, what's Jesus' question of Peter? John chapter 21, do you love me? Cool. You're in. You're back in the game. Not, Peter, are you sorry? Not, Peter, do you promise never to do it again? Not, Peter, have you set up an accountability structure? Are you, are you maintaining your one-with-ones? Are you, are you, Peter? No, 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 none of that. None of that. At the end of the day, it's what? You love me? Because if you love me, 
You'll do what I ask you to do. You'll move away, not just from sin, but towards righteousness. Do you see? He invites us into this. This is why, why, why we, we haven't received the spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship. Now, for some of us, moving away from sin will cause suffering for us. Because we found ways to negotiate life. Right? Some of us have become dependent on our patterns and practices and habits, right? And it's going it, to, I have to, I'm, I'm walking with somebody right now and, and, and she continually blows herself up in relationships and I finally had to say to her, sometimes it's better to be home alone on a Friday night and just dig your fingernails into the couch and hang on than it is to go out on Friday night to the bar and find somebody to hook up with. It's going to hurt. And this is what he says. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the what? Glory that will be revealed. This is in the next verse. Right? You see, you see where we're going? Now, why does this matter? Well, because God's got a planet with your name on it that he wants you to be in charge of. You do know that as the image of God, you are created to exercise appropriate stewardship and responsibility for the earth, right? That's Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28, right? So how do you intend to become the kind of person whom God can trust to be His glory, to be His image, to be His representative? His strategy is holiness. Is He good enough to make it happen? Oh, yes. This is the invitation of the Spirit. If you want to look in the mirror of pride or anger, or envy. My personal favorite sin is sloth. Greed, gluttony, lust, the seven deadly sins. Any of those things manifests in money and sexuality, power, gossip, hatred, discord, jealousy. You know the litany of lists. I don't need to deal with that. But I do need you to say, Holy Spirit of the living God, search my heart. See the ways of wickedness in me. See the ways of brokenness in me. I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. I really think you intend good for me. And I want to be good for you. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.